0: Who knows what Jay-Z, J.K. Rowling, Bill Gates and Oprah Winfrey all have in common? Okay, I will tell you then. They have all overcome failure in one shape or form to go on to gain success in their respective careers. Welcome to My Perfect Failure. Join us as we delve into the world of our perfect failures. We will interview, explore and discuss how our perfect failures can lead us to success. Join us and tune in. Welcome everybody to another episode of My Perfect Failure. Today we have another amazing guest for you. So my guest today is a second-generation owner and president of Belt Enterprises Inc., a church leader and missionary. He traveled to Nicaragua in 2007, where he witnessed the realities of poverty firsthand. His experience and his commitment to helping others thrive inspires his hope build a world of changing approach to fighting poverty, one of the world's biggest problems. While living in Nicaragua for three years, he focused on community and small business development as the field director for Nica Works, an organization that creates community-led change to build a hopeful present and future for the vulnerable in Nicaragua. He helped develop uh, Nica bike shop also, a pre-owned bike retailer in Managua, uh, forgive me pronunciation on that, and as well as uh, Fruit Bearer, a commercial agricultural operation. So a very warm welcome to My Perfect Failure, James Belt. How are you, James?
1: Thanks, Paul. I'm doing great. It's really great to join you.
0: Well, it's lovely to have you on My Perfect Failure today. I was intrigued when I you know was researching you, and got your information really intrigued about your journey to nicaragua because i yeah i guess i guess we'll get into this in a second but i don't think it was planned i think it just transpired that you ended up going to nicaragua but i think it opened up your eyes and your your heart to for sure to how other people exist and what a challenge it is for people and i, I guess to, to a certain extent how privileged we are to, mm. to have food, to have shelter, just to be able to do things that we take for granted. So definitely keen to get into that. But um, it, initially, what it'd be great to do, is just get a little bit of a backdrop to James, who you are. I guess people might have gleaned that you've got an American accent. So it'd be lovely to get a little bit of backdrop to, you know, where you originate from. And, and then we can lean into Nicaragua.
1: Sure, I love that. Yeah, so grew up in Maryland on the East Coast of the United States, and uh, grew up in in a family. You had mentioned I'm the second generation uh, owner of Belt Enterprises. Uh, so grew up in a family business. My dad started when mm-hmm. I was relatively young, and uh, watched that grow from a you know relatively small business to where it is today, and had that opportunity. Um, I have two sisters. One of which is, uh, you know, I would say blood sister. However, you'd want to put that. And one yeah. is it actually adopted from Nicaragua. Okay, oh, uh, amazing. We can get into that. Yeah, from the from the orphanage that I uh, was first introduced to when I when I went to Nicaragua in two thousand seven, yeah. which is is pretty neat. And um, now still living in Maryland, as you had mentioned, we can get into it. I lived in Nicaragua for three years. Back here in Maryland now, uh, running the the business that my dad started mm-hmm. and. Uh have uh, two kids, married, have two kids, uh, two dogs, two cats, <laughs> and three hermit crabs. So <laughs> we have quite a busy household, uh, but um, but doing, you know, excited and still working in Nicaragua quite a bit with Nico Works, uh doing development work, um, community economic development, and really focusing in on bringing hope to people okay. in, in Nicaragua. So oh,
0: Wow. So it sounds you've got a pretty full, full lot going on there
1: yeah it keeps me busy it, it, <laughs> that's de- for sure de-
0: definitely keeps you busy so so i haven't told you this james so i'm for this episode i hope you don't mind but i've plagiarized um your book which we're going to get into <laughs> and there's um hope realized with, uh-huh. with james belt so but so people you've got to sneak a <laughs> uh, peek to the title of your of your book which we'll get into in a second yeah but um but i think You know, from many respects, what I loved about the title of the book is that, you know, obviously we're going to deal with Nicaragua and that situation there. But I think the essence of your book, the title, I think that can be aligned to different uh, situations that people are going through in in life, you know, the same premise.
1: Yes. Yeah, I would say very much so. Yeah. Just the idea that, you know, I think we often think of as when we think of hope as something wishy-washy or... Uh, I, you know, I hope my team wins the game. I hope I pass the test and we don't think of it as something necessarily foundational or or something that actually can be achieved. It's kind of like, well, if it happens, it happens. Mm. But when I talk about hope realized it's, it's this idea that, um, there's a foundational hope that can make a difference and that, that can be realized can actually, can actually occur and and creates, creates change. It it actually makes a difference in our lives. And certainly that applies, you know, to. To poverty, but uh, you know, poverty situations such as Nicaragua, where I've I've done some work, but you know, in anywhere in our life mm, where mm. Um, where we're struggling or we're hoping to to achieve something.
0: Yeah, it kind of makes sense because I think for a lot of us, when we, I guess I'm generalizing to me here, but when I use that analogy, hope, you know, for me, there's no solidity around that. I use it in a as a, almost as a figure of speech. I hope that I will be able to do something, which means there's a significant chance it won't happen. So I don't, you know, essentially put a foundation, you know, beneath that to actually drive it or or even to make a plan or even to have an overarching idea about how I can make it happen. It's almost a throwaway for me. So mm. that, that's why I, I sort of like your premise behind that. But before we get into the book, what I was keen to talk about is 2007 was a significant year for you T- tell us yep. about 2007
1: sure yeah so uh just to actually I'll rewind just briefly okay, to 2006 perfect, perfect. so um yeah I grew up I said grew up in Maryland uh, in a you know two-parent family we went to church uh my parent family is actually part of starting a church and a few years after the church started our church decided we should go do some missionary work somewhere you know it's pretty common for churches there mm. They kind of think, well, we should give back in in some way, and so they started traveling to Nicaragua through an organization called Orphan Network that works with orphanages uh, in Nicaragua. And so my my parents and my sister Jenny they actually went on that first trip in two thousand six uh, with the church. And I at the time was in the financial planning industry. I graduated college with a finance degree and was uh, pursuing you know financial planning and building a business there and kind of felt well i'll be the guy who gives the money mm. to to the people that go to places yeah. like nicaragua i won't be the guy that goes there and so <laughs> <laughs> so i said you guys go <laughs> Keep behind the
0: behind computer <laughs> yeah. you know v- virtually supporting yeah.
1: you guys go down and i'll i'll support you and cheer you on yeah however they came back from that first trip and they started coaxing me along <laughs> you know you need to come too <laughs> so uh they were successful and in 2007 i decided well i'll, I'll go ahead and I'll. I'll go, you yeah. know, almost as a checking off the box yeah. kind of a thing. And so, uh, I decided that I would I would travel down there, and I you probably get this a little bit from what I just said, but mm. never saw myself as the missionary. I would call myself the reluctant a reluctant yeah. missionary, <laughs> um, you know. And I so, the book. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so I uh, I started, you know, I went down in two thousand seven, and of course, I kind of fell in love with the country mm. to, a, to a large degree mm-hmm. still wasn't a hundred percent sure why I was going or Weird. what it was that I had to offer yeah. necessarily other than I was part of this team that was coming down to make a difference in the life of one uh one community and, and an orphanage in particular but uh but through that that time from 2007 there was kind of a journey from there of okay I'll, I'll go on this mission trip okay I'll go back you know mm. and then mm. and then 2008 Uh, my parents actually decided to go ahead and adopt my my sister emily oh wow i was 15 at the time when when she was adopted so she was a teenager uh and during that time i had the chance to travel down there a little bit more because my my mom in particular had to live there for a little while during the process kind of on and off yeah and so um that's when i really started to ask questions about uh poverty and Mm -hmm. why does it exist and um and all of that so yeah. yeah so it wasn't a plan, and certainly never planned to live there yeah, um, uh, yeah. we can get into that as
0: we go yeah. here but it sounds like when you un, you know I forgive my lack of insight but that type of missionary work is no joke in terms of what you have to give and what you will have to absorb in terms of the experience and so forth H- how did you adapt to that because it's, it's it's not like a nine-to-five job where you just you put potter in and it's you've got a desk you've got a computer and you you know you've got colleagues and it, it's all fairly structured and you kind of know what to expect it sounds a little bit more than that you having to give a lot emotionally and I guess engage in things that potentially you haven't come across before
1: sure yes yeah that is very much the case so when I first started traveling there uh, in 2007 with our, you know, I'd go for a week, you know, down down to Nicaragua. And we were working in an orphanage with kids that uh, in Nicaragua, many countries like Nicaragua, there are actually what they call economic orphans. So mm-hmm. they might have a family, but their family can't afford to care for them. Mm-hmm. And so they're living in an orphanage essentially, and they might see their, their family once a year, if that. And so uh, while I had some experience working with youth, you know, in my background, it was definitely different. Mm. One, jumping in and doing that kind of on, a, on an all-day basis, and two, doing it in a country that I had little knowledge of that culturally was very different. You know, mm. I grew up growing up in the northeast part of the United States. I'm a relatively Type A yeah. uh, person. You know, I, I enjoy structure to, to yeah. some degree, at least. and
0: <laughs> the winter. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's,
1: yeah, Nicaragua <laughs> is there's a saying "mas o menos," and it's kind of like you know they're very much more. Of and this isn't a criticism. It's mm. something I've actually learned from. Is, um, you know, they there's a bit of more go with the flow, yeah. or, or yeah. we'll figure it out as we go element to it, and so, yeah. um, more relational probably, to be honest with yeah. in yeah. that sense. So there's more of a, a focus on that part of it, and that tends to make it less structured mm. and more, yes. you know, we're gonna, <laughs> you know. And so that was challenging then, but then it became even more challenging when I eventually moved there. Uh, because that was then that became my life that wasn't it was no longer the the visit the week long visit and I'd go back to my nice life (laughs) it was uh you know I was actually living and and working within that Mm -hmm. environment all the time and trying to learn culturally kind of how I would navigate Mm -hmm. that and the first number of months were pretty challenging Mm -hmm. because I had you know my idea of what the world looked like and it was being challenged Yeah. By by a totally different culture that mm-hmm. I just wasn't used to, yeah. um, but I definitely grew a lot from I can that. Imagine. A great appreciation for for what you know for for how I grew up, but also for the culture mm-hmm. that I was in and for the ability to kind of not be so caught up in um, just the you know it has to be X way. My schedule yeah. has to look like this all yeah. the time. So. <laughs> yeah, um, so,
0: yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. So I was going to ask you about language. So do you speak they speak spanish i'm assuming so what was your spanish like
1: yeah so i i did spoke or i should say i took spanish classes uh growing up you know uh middle school high school secondary you know school and then Mm -hmm. i actually went to uh, some Spanish classes in college. And so I thought I had a relatively good foundation, yeah. until I moved to Nicaragua and realized I spoke yeah. very little actual Spanish. <laughs> so <laughs> I uh, I told people I learned I learned Spanish on the on the streets of Managua, but I did take Spanish classes while I was there as well. and uh, definitely it was an adjustment process of being able to communicate. actually, I talk in my in my book, I talk about my first trip. To Nicaragua was my introduction and my realization that I knew a, a lot less Spanish because I had arrived a little late yeah. to the country. And uh, when I got to the airport, they had someone pick me up and take me to where the team was, mm. which was about an hour away. Mm. And she spoke about, you know, maybe five English words. Mm. And I I could remember about five Spanish words. One of which was Volcan, which <laughs> means volcano in Spanish, and and she responded with, "I uh, see, sí, yes, uh, Volcan, Yeah. So that was Brilliant. most of our conversation for the trip was about that and trying to <laughs> you know converse back and forth a little bit with a few words I knew and um, you know just the way we communicate maybe nonverbally, but it was uh, it was definitely different. And yeah. thankfully now I have learned quite a bit of Spanish. Much, yeah. of, much of our staff uh down there at the time and still not today only speak Spanish and so really um quite a few not not all but yeah. quite a few and so you know I've I had to navigate that yeah. uh that which was great.
0: Yeah that's because the thing is it would have been a challenge engaging that work, you know, if they spoke English. The mm-hmm. fact that you had to engage that you know situation plus with you know limited Spanish at that point that must have made it additionally challenging to maybe get across different points and and understand them and maybe explain yourself
1: oh for sure yeah i mean especially as i said initially um trying to explain uh, certain things Mm. or yeah articulate i mean the the difference between kind of knowing a language or knowing some words in a language and actually being able to speak it is being as you said being able to articulate beyond the words themselves what you're trying to communicate and so that was always that's more of the challenge, and that's mm. interesting. Even you know translating or or interpreting, um, even now at times yeah. it's like, well, what word? What's the right word that yeah. I need to say here? Not necessarily the word that translates exactly from Spanish to English, but the word that's going to convey what um, what I'm trying to say. And I do have I have actually some some funny stories about times where I would give a uh, you know an example or a analogy
0: yeah.
1: that made sense in my uh environment yeah. in the US that I, that totally you know fell <laughs> flat you know I was like oh, that,
0: I guess that doesn't make that's have the same they're not know, getting, picture. Exactly. I'm not getting a reaction there must be something something Yeah in this, in yeah this.
1: so you just learn that kind of stuff right yeah. Well, you got to think about it differently okay what Well, what was this person's experience growing up and how can I relate to what they're yeah. what they've experienced and and what I'm trying to communicate so that they understand what I'm saying Yeah
0: and the the kids themselves were they from that area or were they from different parts of Nicaragua?
1: It varied a bit. So, yeah, okay. a number were from that community. So El Cañon, which is the community that Orphanage exists in, is a very impoverished mm. uh, community just on the outskirts of Managua. And mm. El Cañon means the canyon. So it, mm. it's uh, if you were to be there, you go up a hill kind of heading south from Managua, the capital city, and there's a turn off there's a, a concrete wall, if you could imagine a white mm. painted concrete wall mm-hmm. and the turnoff that looks like you're going down a cliff and you would have never imagined that a whole community exists down there, but, but they do- they do. And so that's a, it's probably about 50 to 60% unemployment rate, wow. underemployment rate in that community. And so a number of the kids do actually come from that community mm-hmm. or did. And uh, a number of the kids have maybe come in from uh, a number of other areas. Yeah. One of the, pre- one of the people I talk about in the book, she, Came from an area called uh, Mola Cucu, which is you know, basically out in the middle of nowhere, mm. in the central part of Nicaragua. So yeah, it varied quite a bit. Mm.
0: Um, yeah, and I heard you talk about the the age range. It was quite varied. So that must have been you know, because normally in schools you get teachers that specialize in teaching a certain age group. You know, you're given you know this grade, which is a certain age group. You get, and then you've got maybe a little bit older, then a little bit older. But you seem to have have the full range, which must be difficult and interesting at the same time, and maybe um, not maybe I'm sure very uh, rewarding as well. When you know when you see um, the the kids show in advancement and improvement.
1: Yeah, yeah. So in the, in the orphanage, at the time, especially when we first started going there, I was I think there were kids that were maybe one year old mm. up to you know eighteen, basically, or or thereabout. And so it was quite uh, interesting you know interacting and just seeing the difference even mm-hmm. in in uh, in the kids and the environments they've grown up in and yeah trying to make a difference in their lives and i have a ton of respect for the caretakers yeah. that you know would work there day in day out um you know that is a hard job because you mm-hmm. are you're working with now they would obviously have kids
0: mm-hmm.
1: were in their age groups from a living standpoint mm-hmm. but um but you are dealing with a lot of different you know yeah. personalities and as yeah. somebody that now i have a 3-year-old and a 5-year-old now i can appreciate even more so yeah. just how how different that is um working with kids at different age groups so yeah that that was a challenge and it was rewarding i had even after i moved to nicaragua my focus was more on community development economic development outside of that orphanage okay. i would still have the opportunity to go back in and and work um with the older teenagers especially and um invest in their lives and that was really rewarding yeah. to be able to kind of give back in that way
0: yeah because i was that so you kind of passed your answer to the question so in terms of what you know, when you, you know, were there, were mm-hmm. there core areas that you were concerned with, that the missionary was concerned with, you know, developing and improving?
1: Sure, great question. So yeah, so um, if it's okay, I'll give you a little bit of a picture, kind oh, of brilliant. how I got that'd be, to that'd be wonderful. how I got to where where I was when I when I lived there. So you know, as I had mentioned, I I continued to travel down to Nicaragua, um, started to ask the question you know, I think often we think of poverty when we see a commercial like the Catholic Charities commercial mm. or, or you know, we see the person on, on the street maybe holding a sign mm. and that's kind of our picture of poverty. But as I started to travel down there and spend more time, what was once just an idea became a name, you know, Josue, mm. Maria jose people that I actually had a relationship with. And so I would start to ask the question, okay, well, um, they seem just as capable as I am, just as intelligent mm. as I am. What's the difference? Why haven't they yeah. had the same opportunities, yeah, okay. or have, why don't they have the same life as yeah. I do? Um, and so I started to ask that question. I had the opportunity to go out to a coffee farm, um, and and see that uh, that operation. And that actually is a, that would be a, a, a instance of failure actually from my mm-hmm. part. There, um, I, I went out there and I talked to the coffee farmers, and they explained to me that they had only. They were able to grow x amount but they were only able to sell 50 percent of what they what they had in, in coffee and i uh, was basically the guy that said um hey i can help you find a new buyer because they had explained to me basically yeah. we need a bulk buyer and i said well i'll hook you up with starbucks or something and i yeah. have no connections by the way yeah. with starbucks so i came home and i said i started to investigate and realized that the uh the international coffee business is a lot more complicated than i oh, wrote, really, than I really. believed and another in another cultural twist there uh, when you say something in in Nicaragua to that sense it's not kind of a they don't take it as a well i might do it it's a you know kind of you're making a promise and so mm-hmm. i had to learn through that process wow. um what it you know <laughs> that, gosh i'm not going to be able to make this uh, happen and they probably are, are not thinking real well of me right yeah now. yeah and so and and rightfully so Um, so that was right around a little before I, I really felt called to move there. Mm -hmm. Um, but what that forced me to do was to take a step back and say, well, maybe I don't quite understand the problem. Maybe Mm -hmm. I need to, to, to take a, take a minute to learn a little bit. Um, so in 2011, I was down there on another one of these trips with my church and I went on a hike with some kids and we were up on top of this little, um, what they would call a mountain, basically a Mm -hmm. large hill overlooking el canyon mm-hmm. and i just felt this uh what i would say that inaudible force of god in my head it wasn't audible but kind of in my head that said where are you going and my mm-hmm. first thought was well i'm going back to the united states um in my nice comfortable life but i came to realize that was um you know this this moment of calling in my life mm-hmm. to to move down there um and to do some work and i explain all that because um why, what I realized was, you know, the time up to that point was kind of preparation. I not getting married okay. at that time. Okay. Um, you know, I, I didn't have kids, but I had worked in business. I had mm. worked in and things of that sort. And up until that point, I wasn't really sure how my gifts translated to, mm. to making a difference. And as I started to think about, okay, what would it look like for me to move to Nicaragua a year later? I started to understand that, you no, know, my, my particular background in business and economic development and leadership could could make a difference so mm. when i moved down to nicaragua again without an agenda which was hard um a lot of learning a lot of trying mm. to understand the culture my focus was on how can we bring um what i call practical and spiritual hope to communities mm. okay. and so you know i was bringing what basically my business background my leadership background and saying okay can we create uh opportunity for people uh, whether that's through business creation through training uh through what we call food security so you know helping people mm. to grow their own food things of that sort um and so that was our focus was basically on that practical and spiritual hope and then giving people a reframed what i call reframed identity and um so those were my focuses mm. basically were that as well as supporting in and some educational and medical development uh, working with other organizations and so um we do a lot on on vocational still do a lot in vocational training um and like i said business creation but it's all surrounding these two ideas of practical and spiritual
0: yeah no i like that combination practical because practical is the doing and the the spiritual is is the mind because the the mind is incredibly powerful and Mm. if we know how to use it i think i guess what i've learned from this podcast is that you know an awareness of that i didn't I definitely didn't have that awareness prior to mm. starting this podcast. So I love the fact that you were combining two really fundamental elements. And and as part of your engagement in that project for for the you know three years plus, and obviously it's still it's a continuous thing. Was there some engagement with maybe the the community, the outside community? Was that uh, something that was that was considered beneficial or not really i guess what i mean by that is obviously the situation that these kids find themselves in an the incredibly unfortunate situation for their parents and so forth it's almost you know, I don't know, you know obviously i don't you know understand the dynamics but it would seem that there are there are outside influences that undermine certain communities which obviously lead to parents having to, mm. you know, give their kids to orphanages. Is that something that can be broached or not really for this type of work?
1: That's a great question, actually, and that was kind of my my focus. So uh, one thing I didn't mention in there was, as how I engaged with NECA Works was the person that we originally traveled down with mm. uh, with Orphan Network eventually launched an organization called NicoWorks. Okay, because he felt a calling to the the parents and the people outside the community his his thought okay. was well if we can if we can break the cycle there maybe we won't mm. have to um have to have as many orphanages and mm. things of that sort and so that that was kind of the impetus for that but i would say the answer to your question is yes um i think we can and what i look at it you know i i said talked about how we have these pictures of poverty well we mm. also have a picture of what poverty looks like right mm. so we think of things like hunger we think of things like unemployment, um, you know, a lack of health care, you know, whatever the, yeah. the list we go down. Um, I often think of poverty as an iceberg. And if you're familiar with the, the concept of iceberg, about 10% of the iceberg is above the surface, right? Okay. About 90% is below. Mm-hmm. The 10%, uh, those byproducts that we often think of is that 10%. It's oh, what really, we can actually see. Really. What I found through my my time there is that there's this underlying okay. 90% that I call, that I basically refer to as hopelessness. And I say it's a live hopelessness because I don't believe anybody is okay. truly hopeless. Yeah. Um, that feeds that that byproduct, those byproducts we see. And so when I talk about addressing poverty through practical and spiritual hope, it's actually addressing that underlying hopelessness yeah. that feeds the, the poverty, the byproducts we think of. And so... Um, the, the hopelessness is what I see as sustaining yeah. the, you know, and creating the environment that keeps the cycle mm. running, um, and that can be hopelessness both practically and spiritually. And practical is a lack of a real opportunity. Yeah. There's a lot of reasons for that, right? Some of it is just intergenerational poverty that things have been that way for a long time, and that reinforces the belief that nothing can ever change. Um, there are obviously infrastructure issues, um, all kinds of different issues that can relate to that. Um, as well as then when poverty exists, the outside world often says, well, that's not an opportunity there. Mm. You know, I'm not going to invest in that community because I don't I don't see the opportunity for myself. Yeah. So it's kind of a, um, you know, a, a bad cycle there, because uh, if we see that the people that the person that's in poverty or that community mm. that's in poverty as not being worthy of investment, it kind mm. of reinforces that that belief. Yeah. So that that practical is the real opportunity. And then on the spiritual I say a reframed identity and on the hopelessness end of that it's this idea that I was you know this is what I was created for my life can't ever change yeah. I was created for a life of less than or or i um I'm just here and, and mm. nothing can be different and so it's yeah. this picture of yourself that says no nothing will ever change that gets passed on and then yeah. reinforced as I said by the environment and so um, when we address those two issues uh, by creating real opportunity and a reframed identity Mm, wow. that i believe you can wow. actually um address uh, yeah. as you're saying some of those yeah. issues that that basically end up having kids you know living in orphanages mm,
0: yeah and so, you know that's amazing work that you're doing there and i love the fact that you're you know you're not just giving you're giving these people you know i say these people these amazing people an opportunity you're not just a practical but the you know that realignment of you know how, the, how, how they think of themselves and but, you know, that you aren't destined to live your life in this scenario because, you know, in life, sometimes we can have that compound effect where mm-hmm. you know, all we know is whatever the situation is. In this situation, it was it's poverty, it's not having enough. And you, you, you might look in envy at people you see drive past with their, you know, in a nice car and, you know, they may be drinking something and, you know, that might seem like a million miles away but what you're giving people is more than practical support you know you're underpinning it with this spirituality which you know pro, you know i don't know whether it's equally or more important but it's uh, i'm sure it's um, incredibly significant to their to, to you know to their eventual av- advancement and improvement Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, I would say that's why I call I call the combination all in hope. And so when I talk okay. about hope being different and foundational, I'm talking about those two together. That two prong approach okay. of both a real opportunity and a reframed identity. And yeah, it's exactly what you say. It's you know the way I see it, the way I talk about it is you know created by God, uh, created on purpose and for a purpose um, yeah. by God who loves you. And so it's just this idea mm-hmm. that um, that basically uh you know you weren't just kind of you're not destined for this life and you know i think that like you just said that's not just applicable to someone in poverty that's really Mm. applicable to all Mm. all of us because um i think the way we see ourselves or the way we see someone else else often um yeah plays into how we treat ourselves or treat someone else so you know if you see yourself as you know as unworthy you're going to
0: probably treat yourself that way yeah and i like the way you've combined it as well because I think if you just because some people wouldn't be as insightful as you and your colleagues and they might just think, let's go with a practical, which is amazing anyway. And you see some advancement there, but, you know, you don't have that. They still don't have the the mind, that mental capacity. So I love the fact that you've underpinned it. So you've really given these guys, you know, a, a full opportunity and really just changing, you know, what what they consider to be where they can take their lives. And so yeah. so, so I, I love where did that cut? was that something that you got from church or was it something that you you know from your studies or was it a combination of everything or what you researched and observed?
1: Yeah, I would say it's a combination of of everything. And mm. um what's interesting is that I think as I spent that initial time in Nicaragua when I first moved there, mm. that's where I kind of just started to discern this a little bit mm. of that, you know, there's something beneath the surface. It's not yeah. just what we what we often think about. And um what's been interesting as I wrote the book uh, I've realized that I've looked back at my own life and i said oh wow I've, I now can see where practical and spiritual mm. hope have played a, a role in my oh, own okay. life and wow. in my own development and so it's reinforced that idea that um you know but either on the positive or the negative side that practical and spiritual hope mm. either having it or the lack thereof mm. plays a, a large role in in mm. um in our lives and so that uh, I would say it's been the whole journey mm. um, and then reflecting on my own life maybe not realizing at the time that I was actually kind of seeing it in myself and mm. saying well maybe that's what's different about us mm. maybe yeah. it's the opportunity that I was given that mm. you know allowed me to and and the people that were that invested in my life and the environment I grew up in that played mm. a huge role in mm. um and where I am today
0: yeah I'm, I'm going to get into the book in a second but i was just keen to get an understanding about what was were... You know maybe there's an example of something that you're doing with the kids in a day whether was it was it reading was it occupying you know getting them to you know, maybe not just do nothing because I, I don't know what they would have been doing before but what types of things were you guys trying to engage the, the kids with to maybe get an uplift in terms of their perspective opportunity that type of thing
1: yeah. So, I mean, it would be different depending on the situation, but, yeah. you know, um, it might be uh, on the practical side, let's say, it might be carpentry, okay. uh, doing oh, some carpentry cool. vocational training and saying, look, you can make something. Mm. And that, that gives mm. them a different perspective where maybe we're doing um, some agriculture development. Mm. We created a bike shop. You had mentioned the
0: Nika yeah, bike shop yeah, in your, was in your up, introduction. Yeah. So um, what was that?
1: So, and it's still running today, actually. So oh, it's, a, it's a, yeah, it's a, a pre-owned or, you know, used bike um retail shop basically in Managua. And so bikes from the US that you know are often kind of mm. care, people are getting a new bike. Mm. We send them down to to Nicaragua. They buy them um and then they resell, they fix them up and resell them. Wow. And it, it kind of started as a vocational training, but it actually turned into a business and now is one of the largest retailers of, of used bikes in Nicaragua. Wow um, amazing. and provides employment. And then um also you were asking about what else do we do? Well, we yeah. kind of either whether it's us or through um, you know, a, a pastor or a church or or someone in Nicaragua, we do try to help people see, look, you aren't this isn't uh the life you were created for. Yeah. It might yeah. look like um spending time with them. It might look mm. like um, you know, like you said, reading something or or mm. connecting kind of their life with with God yeah. and, and who they were created to be, um, but trying to help them see that uh that this isn't you know you aren't destined for this mm. life and you know sometimes well another big uh i would say benefit or or something that is helpful is having an example of someone that yeah totally um that is similar to you mm. that has come out of come out of that situation and mm. so yeah, we it. often will you know use that as well
0: yeah and i wanted to ask and then we talk about the book gladys gladys was very important to you tell, yes tell me about how gladys into the picture and how she impacted your time
1: yeah so gladys uh gladys is a woman that that lives in el cañon um and when we started to travel down as a mission team in 2006 and i you know, came in 2007 we would have what they call hot dog lunches uh we started doing and that was basically just a way to create community within that community at the church and we would do it after church and that was an opportunity for us to get to know the community a little bit more and to, to serve the community by offering, offering food. And so um, when I tell the story in the book about how, you know, my, my perception of a hot dog was basically like, uh, you know, a cookout at, at my yes. house. And that, uh, that, that was kind of my background And it. Hot dogs weren't anything special to me. Mm. They were just kind of a throwaway, a throwaway thing. But as I started, I started to realize as people lined up, and they came through the line that, it, you know, this was, Important to them that mm-hmm. they didn't have the same opportunities to to choose what they were having for dinner. There, they would spend a lot of their life just figuring out how their family would eat. And so by by providing that food, it was a big deal to them. And Gladys in particular, she had a apron that um, that uh, she would wear, and I think actually vendors, street vendors, often have them because they have a number of pockets mm-hmm. in them that you can put things in. And I talk about in the book how Gladys uh, would go through the line multiple times or maybe have someone else go through the line multiple times and she would be sticking, you know, these hot dogs in these various pockets that she would take home with her. And, you know, it'd be easy to see Gladys as being um, maybe uh, greedy or things mm-hmm. of that sort. And what I came to realize by spending time with her and, uh, and just observing mm-hmm. is that for Gladys and for the people that lived in opinion, the reason why they would go through multiple times was that they didn't know when the next time they okay. were going to have this opportunity yeah. was. And she had family members that were at home mm. that that needed to eat as well. And yeah. so they were actually saving that food. It wasn't like, hey, I'm going to have my six hot dogs right now. You know, like like uh Jerry Chestnut on the, on the hot dog eating contest or whatever. It was that they were actually you know seeing what I often think of as just kind of a throwaway yeah. um, fun meal as as something that really um, was important. And so it started to again another shift in my thinking of man these people uh have needs that you know yeah. i don't maybe don't quite understand
0: yeah, so. tot- yeah totally I, I love that story yeah. um so so hope hope realized when did the idea to write hope realized come into your into your into your ether and, and maybe you can tell us you know the, the core principles of hope realized
1: sure yeah so uh hope realized was basically born out of my time, mm-hmm. having lived lived in Nicaragua. And, you know, as I started to write it, uh, even previous to that, but uh, as I started to prepare to move back to the United States in 2015, I decided just maybe I should write down some of the things mm-hmm. that yeah. I felt like I learned, whether that's just for my own benefit or the benefit of my family, or if it's something I would eventually share. And so uh, in 2015, summer 2015, I started just writing down, basically, some of the ideas and and how I had seen change happen, and mm. and how I believed we could uh, take a little bit of a different approach or a different perspective, maybe at least on addressing poverty. And as I started to write it, write it down uh, slowly, kind of over mm. the course of years, um, and editing it, I decided, hey, this should probably be a book Mm -hmm. like it's something that's worth Mm -hmm. sharing yeah uh, and maybe helping to to even unify people on a different perspective on on addressing poverty and so um the idea basically that hoop realized gets gets into is a little bit of what we've been talking about to be honest it's this idea of looking at poverty differently so why does Mm -hmm. poverty persist um i have a chapter in there called is poverty winning you know, mm. I think we look around, and you know, things such as the pandemic have mm. revealed that many people still live on this on this mm. edge, on this very uh, razor thin edge mm. of poverty. And why is it that, despite all the resources in the world, we still we still have those issues? And um, that's where I get into looking at the underlying issue of what I call the lie of hopelessness. Yeah. That it's actually sustained by this lack of a real opportunity and a lack of a a clear or accurate identity um, of what you were really created for and so in the book i look at uh, those two issues and and how they how they help poverty Mm -hmm. persist and perpetuate and then how we actually address them and go through creating a real opportunity which i call practical hope Mm so that might look like vocational training that might look like educational opportunities you know uh, there are a number of. It might look like healthcare in some cases. I talk about a, a girl named Brenda in the book who lived in a remote village um, who had a, a skin disease that was it would be easily treatable. You know mm-hmm. where I live, but yeah. often kills people that live in remote mm-hmm. villages in poverty. And uh, you know, it could be a number of different ways that that real opportunity is presented. But creating those real opportunities is critical. However, without a reframed identity, a lot of times yeah. those real opportunities can never be fully taken advantage mm-hmm. of, and that again is this idea that um, you're created on purpose and for a purpose by a guy who loves us. So saying, you know, you weren't created for a life of less than that. You know, you have potential, mm-hmm. and that potential can be realized when a real opportunity is given. Yeah. Um, and you know, that can be confusing to think like, well, gosh, if they have a reframed identity, that means they're automatically going to, you know, become uh, wealthy or rich. And that's not the idea. Yeah, the idea got, is that yeah. having a reframed identity allows you to press through what mm. often would, would stop you from moving forward um, without yeah. that reframed identity. And so that reframed identity, uh, that real opportunity combined, what I call all, all in hope mm. um, that I've seen, and I believe can be mm. uh, a great way of addressing poverty and creating real change. And what I get into kind of towards the end of the book is that I believe we all have the opportunity to play a part that each one of us um, brings something to the table and and can bring either practical or spiritual hope or, or some combination thereof um, to someone else. And that by doing that, we can see real change um, in a world where hope really is realized.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I totally agree with that as well. I think it's a beautiful book. Beautiful. Thank you. It's a beautiful reason that you actually wrote the book. The fact that you, you know, got coaxed into going to Nicaragua, you know, there's no there's definitely no party but I think it's given you a lot you know what, what is it what has mm. it given you personally
1: yeah I would say goodness I there's there was so much that it's given me but one perspective you know I've definitely gained a better perspective of life and appreciation of life and I think it's reinforced this belief that we are all really created equal. Mm. Um, you know that. You know it's easy to kind of look from the outside when we when we live in our life and mm. in our own lane. If you were to say, mm. and kind of see our lives and how how we got to where we are, to see ourselves as as um, you know, I don't know, self made or or mm. that we're different um, or that other people you know couldn't do what we can do. And mm. um, I think it's given me great hope that actually we are created equal, and mm. that um, it's. Oftentimes, the lack of an opportunity or the or the um a lack of a real clear picture of who you were created to be that that holds us mm. back, and so I have a much greater appreciation for people that you know we often might look down on in in mm. society, yeah, so yeah. those are two big things I would say yeah. um that have really changed for me,
0: yeah it get yeah it takes away that prejudgment which we you know we can have you know we might see somebody and we've got to we make a judgment call, and it's like, well, you know you've got no idea. A person, yeah. that person given the opportunity practical spiritual you know they can do you know might be an excellent mask whoever it may be um yeah. so we're getting towards the end now so just in, in relation to the book where can people find the book
1: yeah thanks for asking so you can find it on you know any of your main online retailers yeah. amazon barnes and noble um, you can go to my website jameshbelt.com and you can uh, you know find links to the book there. Um, and I'll just mention that fifty percent of the proceeds from the book actually go back to to Works. And so just by amazing. purchasing the book, you're actually bringing hope to other people because that money gets invested back in communities in Nicaragua. So
0: oh, amazing. Uh, I didn't yeah. know I didn't know that, so that's fabulous. And yeah. what I'll do, I'll put all those links on the the um, show notes, including your your website. so if people do want to get a book. Fantastic. Um, and actually, just, you know, be. be I think, you, you know, whoever, anybody that reads that is going to be so motivated and see mm. uh, a bigger picture of how they can support Nicaragua and maybe people people immediately around them. And i have a recurring question. I think mean, I prepped you for it. So if you could invite three inspirational people to dinner, who might you invite?
1: Yeah. I, so I gave it a little bit of thought. And I think the three I would say are, uh, you know, maybe this one would be, um, I would say Jesus, you know, and I would say in part because of my belief in spiritual hope Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. a large part. And uh, just the way that I believe that, you know, he's impacted my life. Mm -hmm. And I have some questions as well. Um, Martin Luther King Jr., because of his belief in in others in mm. and in a future that's hopeful. And that's another thing I learned in Nicaragua is I just have great hope for mm. what is possible. Mm. And I think you've found that same thing in mm. in Martin Luther King Jr. and his mm. belief in a in a better world. Um and then William Wilberforce, okay. who played a large role in the end of the slave trade, mm. uh the British slave trade. And uh just hearing about he took a one thing I, I find really inspiring about him is that he took a different approach to trying to help people see an issue um, that was not only affecting the people, you know, in slavery, but also the world in general. Mm. Um, and that he was, that's kind of my thought on on the book to some degree is saying, well, let's look at this a little bit differently. Maybe we, if we do, if we reframe it a little bit, it'll help us address it differently. And so I have great appreciation for that and for his belief again in in creating change and something that many people probably thought at the time would never change. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. I, and then it'd be interesting to ask those three together, kind of some questions. <laughs> so. <laughs> like, what do you guys think about about, about what each other thinks? You know? <laughs> <So>.
0: <laughs> that would be. I think right. it might go. It might be a long, long, long dinner.
1: I think you, so. You might
0: have you, what what you might have to do is maybe say you can stay the night. We've we've got some, you know, we've got some. Um, beds that we can put you up in so you're right. You, you, i don't you, think i
1: would have to talk much either yeah, exactly <laughs> you could just,
0: what i would do i would get a an addiction recorder put it in the middle of the room so like parts of it you've just got so you can just <laughs> listen to them periodically you're driving to work or at the gym you need that little bit of inspiration you've, you've got it right there yeah and uh and i just do have one last question so for people listening that uh, so maybe they're lacking hope at the moment, they're in a difficult spot, or maybe they, they're aware of other people that may maybe struggling with a situation. Would you have any advice?
1: Yeah, I would say one, you know, get engaged in, in making a difference mm. in the lives of others. I think oftentimes we can find hope for ourselves when we bring hope to other people. Mm. Um, and that maybe if you have someone else that you're thinking, gosh, I don't know if anything can change mm. for them, well by getting started by, by, you know, attempting to make a difference by bringing in practical or spiritual hope, um, you might start to see that change can happen. Cause that's what happened for me. You know, I, mm, this wasn't yeah. like a, one day I woke up in an epiphany, it happened. Oh, this is what we should do. It was a journey. Yeah. And so I would just say, um, get engaged in that way mm. and then bring hope to others and just realize that for yourself. Mm. Um, if you're listening, I believe there's hope for you, you know, that, yeah. that, Um, maybe you need to look at your own life and say well maybe if I lack the opportunity or or am I seeing myself in a certain way and reframing that that picture you have of yourself um, will make a huge difference for you too so
0: okay James wonderful thank you for your time today and thank you for the book and thank you for doing something amazing for for other people but you know is impacting not just them but I think people that will read your book and then that's going to rebound because they're going to do wonderful things for other people. So there's, a, there's this whole domino effect that you're creating. And obviously, mm. you know, I've been, I'm have been i benefiting from having you on the podcast. So thank you for your time today.
1: Well, thank you, Paul. I really enjoyed it. And I appreciate your willingness to to get the message out there.
0: No, you're, you're very welcome. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to this episode of My Perfect Failure. You can find me at www.myperfectfailure.com. And please look out for the next episode. Take care for now. Bye. Thanks for listening to My Perfect Failure podcast. Be sure to visit www.myperfectfailure.com to join the conversation. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Look out for our next episode.